Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but we would love to meet you in person. All are welcome, and that includes you. So if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service at the corner of Arthur Ashe Boulevard and Grove in the historic synagogue across from the Art Museum. Can't make it in person? No problem. We are also live streaming on YouTube. Contact our administrator at tikvotdirector at gmail.com for the link during the week, or contact us on our website, tikvotisrael.com. There, you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. It's Shabbat Shuvah, the special Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And I'm getting this chair, and I'm heading down there. So you know what that means. Story time! All right. That's right. It is Tater Tot Shabbat. Once again, two Shabbats in a row. Yay! All right, we got some yays. That's good. All right, thanks for joining us. Where are you from? Okay, the silent type. I like that. There's no limit, by the way, to who is a child or a tater tot. So if you self-identify as a tater tot, please feel free to come down and sit with the other tater tots. Today's story is not an original story the same as last week's was. Last week, side note, if you remember last week, for Rosh Hashanah, we had the original story by Rabbi David called Wake Up and Rest, the story of AJ, the anxious Jew. Do you remember that? Okay. If you missed it, not to worry, the audio of all our sermons are on our podcast and are now being shared on YouTube. There's nothing to cry about. It's really great. But this story today is by Dr. Amy Jill Levine. Jewish New Testament scholar and friend to us Messianic Jews. I know you're all very excited. It is based on this week's New Covenant portion for Shabbat Shuvah in Luke 15, which our elder Eric read some of. And the book is called Who Counts? 100 Sheep, 10 Coins, and Two Sons. Who Counts? What's the name of the book? Who Counts? Who Counts? That's like who matters, but who counts? 100 sheep, 10 coins, two sons. I actually read this book on Shabbat Shuvah, this very Shabbat, five years ago. Raise your hand if you remember that. All right. In 2018, I read it. The last story of the two sons is often called the parable of the prodigal son is how it's known. But this title is not actually in the Bible. And so Dr. Levine has brought out an interesting Jewish perspective on this parable, which shows how the original hearers may have understood it. She gave me personally permission to read it in this sermon with the caveat that I mention Her book is available on Amazon.com. So if you want to support her and get a copy for another young tater tot in your life, feel free. Now on to the story. You ready for the story? That was enough intro, right? Yes. Okay. Who Counts by Amy Jill Levine and Sandy Eisenberg Sasso. 100 sheep. If just a single one were lost, who would notice? Who counted sheep anyway? The man did. The man had a lot of sheep. 100 of them. He counted them every day. He kept counting. It took a long time to count. A long time. You want to count to 100? 
One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, a hundred. Okay. Then he stopped. Oh, what's the problem? One sheep is lost. There were only 99. He must have made a mistake. He had 100 sheep, not 99. He counted again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, nine. One of his sheep was missing. He was responsible for all the sheep, all 100 of them. Immediately, the man went to look for the lost sheep. He walked and walked, but he saw nothing. He kept walking. He looked to the left. Everyone looked to the left. Do you see the sheep? Nope. He looked to the right. I see some sheep over here. Oh, you're not sheep? What are you? Okay, they're dogs. Uh, wonderful. All right, you don't sound like a dog. He looked to the right, nothing. He walked and listened. Still nothing. Then he heard it. A bleating sound. What did he hear? Bah. Bah. I need, I need all you tater tots to participate too. What did he hear? Okay. He ran toward the sound and there she was, the lost sheep. He had found her. She looked so happy. She was too tired to follow him home. So he lifted her on his shoulders and carried her. He was so happy to have all his sheep together. They invited everyone to celebrate. Some people said, what's so wonderful? It was only one sheep. You had 99 others. The man smiled. One sheep makes a difference. Without her, something is missing. Now my flock is 100 again. Complete. Shalem. 10 coins. This is also in Luke 15. 10 drachmas. Can you say drachmas? Oh, good. Wow. Okay. 10 silver coins. Every day, the woman would count them. Then one day she counted one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, not. What's the problem? She lost one coin. She stopped. She couldn't have made a mistake, but she counted again anyway. Still, she counted only nine. One drachma was missing. She had lost one of her coins. Oh, no. The woman lit a lamp to see more clearly. She looked under chairs and in corners. Look around. You see the coin? Okay. She looked in cabinets and wastebaskets. Still no drachma. She took a broom and swept the floor. There were crumbs and dust, but no coin. It was her fault. She had lost the coin and now she must find it. She searched again with the light and the broom. Finally, she saw something shining. She heard a ping. What sound did the coin make? Bah. Oh, sorry. That was the other story. Bing. Okay. Yeah. And she looked down. There it was. <gasps> the missing coin. She held the coin in her hand for a few moments. Then she carefully placed it with the other drachmas. She was so happy to have all the coins, she invited the women in town to celebrate. Some people said, what's so important? It was only one coin. <laughs> the woman smiled. Just one coin matters. Without it, something is missing. Now my coin collection is complete. Completo. Okay, perfecto. Two sons. A father had two sons. Not again. What do you think is going to happen? Lost. One of them is going to be lost. <laughs> the lost son. Okay. Easier to count than 10. Much easier than 100. How many sons are there? Two. One day, the younger son wanted half his father's money. It would be his eventually, but he could not wait. He was restless. He had what we call spilkes. And he wanted to travel. So the father divided his wealth in half and gave it half to his younger son and half to his older son. The younger son went to a foreign land and he had a great time doing whatever he wanted. But before long, he had spent all the money and had none left, not even to pay for food. There was no one to share even a crumb of bread with him as there was little food in the land. The son went to work for a farmer to try to earn enough to buy something to eat. The farmer told him to go and feed the pigs. Even the pods that the pigs ate looked good. Ugh. Finally, the son was so hungry and tired that he decided to return to his father, but he wasn't sure what to say. 
How could he tell his father that he'd spent all the money? His good pants were torn. His shirt was stained. His fancy shoes had holes. He thought, I will tell my father I made a big mistake. I will say that I'm sorry. I will offer to work hard to earn money. Who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to the pigs. Yeah. What are the pigs saying? You got to help me out a little bit here. Pigs make a sound. Oink, oink. Yeah. Just because we don't eat them doesn't mean they don't make a sound. Okay. <laughs> All right. The young son returned home. His hair was uncombed. His face was dirty. His hands were covered in blisters. The father, his father ran to greet him. He was so happy to see him. He did not care about anything else. Whoa is right. Instead of making his son earn money for clothing and food, he gave him a new coat, new shoes, and even a new ring. Then he invited everyone to his home to celebrate. He's got a bell there. What does the bell say? Bing, bling. All right. The older son was still working in the field when he heard the happy sounds of singing and laughter and smelled sweet spices coming from his home. He wondered what was happening. He stopped one of the neighbors who was heading to his home and asked, what is going on? The neighbor was surprised by the question. Don't you know that your father is making a big party for your brother to mark his return? The older brother did not know, apparently. When the father counted everyone who had come to the party, he realized that one person was missing. The person who was missing from the party. Yeah. The elder son or the younger son? <laughs> brother number one. The elder one, yeah. So first, the younger one was missing. And now, Bob is missing. We're calling Bob the older son. Where did you learn that? You learned that from me, huh? Okay, I got to watch what I say. The person was his older son. He had forgotten to invite him. He ran out of the house to find his son. Look at his face. How does he look? He looks mad, yeah. When the older son saw his father coming toward him, he turned away. He was sad and angry that no one had come to find him. His father spoke softly. Your brother has come home. I invited all our friends to celebrate with us. You must come and be glad with us. He tried to hug his son, but his son folded his arms across his chest. The older son finally said to his father, I have been with you all the years that my brother has been away. I did not waste your money. I did everything you wanted me to do. I never left you, but my brother did. Then you make a big party for him. You never had one for me. You didn't even invite me to his. The father thought, I have two sons, one, two. I paid attention to my younger son, but I discounted my older son. I didn't realize that he felt lost. The father took his older son's hand in his own. Please come and join the party. I love you. All I have is yours. Come and be with me and with your brother. I have two sons, he counted. One, he pointed to the house where the younger son was celebrating. He counted and two. And he put his arms around his older son, Bob. Without you, he said, something is missing. With you, our family is complete. Very good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the end. Okay, did you like the story? Okay, well, what do you think is the lesson of this story? To keep count of your complete things or family, right? And if someone in your family is missing and lost or feels lost, what does that mean? You need to look for them so they can be restored. Sounds like you guys learned the lesson. All right, well, give yourselves a pat on the back. You can do it too. All right, thank you. This, is, this concludes story time and Tat Shabbat. You can go back and sit with your parents. As I mentioned, I wanted to read this story because today is Shabbat Shuvah. And this story is based on the parable in Luke 15, the new covenant portion for today that our, our elder Eric read. And it has many encouragements for us today. 
Dr. Levine counsels us to read this story and to hear it the way the first century Jews would have, by trying to see where we fit into the story. In other words, in what ways are we like the Father, longing for those who are lost to be found, praying for those that are far from God to come home again, so that all of God's children are home with their Father, so that God's family is complete. In what ways are we like the younger son, wandering away from our loving father, trying to make it on our own, with our own resources, squandering our talents and strengths in places that are not fruitful and that don't help us or others? Perhaps we also need to come to our senses and come home. And in what ways are we like the older son, jealous of the blessings of others, asking why they get a welcome, not understanding that both sons being home means shalom, completeness, wholeness, and peace. Shalom and the related word shalem are the words of the day. Shalem means complete, restored. Here are some of the ways that this Hebrew word is translated in the NASB version. Blameless, complete, or completed. Entire, full, perfect prepared, safe, and whole. In Hebrew, if there is a wall with a missing piece, then the wall is not what? It's not shalem. It's not complete. If there is a family with two sons and one of them is not home or one of them is outside of the party, then that family is not shalem, complete. If one of them wants to stay outside while there is a party for the one who has come back, the family is not shalem. For there to be shalom, peace, a family must be complete, shalem, with no one missing or whole. God's family includes all of his children, and some of them are lost. And I don't just mean those that haven't accepted Yeshua, although it includes that. Some of us are lost. Some of us are far from God today. And so today is the day to return home. To God, because God is restoring all things. Acts 3.21 says, heaven must receive Yeshua until the time of the restoration of all things that God spoke about long ago through the mouth of his holy prophets. How many things are going to be restored? All things. All things are going to be shalem, complete. All of creation will be restored. The Torah portion before Rosh Hashanah, Nitzavim, has the same theme and introduces another root word of the day, which would be shuv. Can we say that? So let's say shalem. What does shalem mean? Complete, whole, right? And, uh, and then shuv. And what do, we, what do we think shuv means? I'll give you a hint. Turn or return. It's the root word of Teshuvah, or repentance. The uh, Torah portion before Rosh Hashanah has this passage from Deuteronomy 30, and I'm just going to read some of it. Let's look for the places where this root appears. It shall come to pass when all these things have come upon you, the blessings and the curses I have set before you, they will rise up again in your heart, Shev, among the nations to whom the Lord your God has driven you, and you will return, Veshavta, to the Lord your God and listen to God's voice. Then the Lord your God will 
turn Veshav your captivity and have compassion on you and turn Veshav and gather you in from all the nations where you've been scattered. And God will circumcise the foreskin of your heart so that you can love God with all your heart, with all your soul. You will turn Tashuv and you will hear the voice of God and do all the commandments which I've commanded you this day. And God will turn Yashuv and rejoice over you again for the good, the way God rejoiced over your ancestors. If you turn Tashuv to the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Wow. How many times does it appear? that root seven times. That's complete, right? <laughs> That's a complete number of times that to turn, to return, to repent is mentioned, right? And this teaches us about what repentance really is. It's not just saying, I'm sorry, but it's, it's really a complete story. And these are the facets that I've highlighted from the passage we just read. So number one, Israel returns home from exile, or they come back to God. Returning to God means listening to his voice. What's the word for listen? Shema. That's our central prayer, central idea of Judaism is, is listening to God. And then we see that not only do the people return to God and turn to God, but what happens? God turns to his people. Where do we see that in the story of the prodigal son? The father runs, runs out to the, to the lost younger son. And when we return to God, what happens? He transforms us and the Torah returns to our heart. So from this, we derive what I think is the heart of God's work and the heart of our work in shuva, in returning, in repentance. What is our part? To come back home. What is God's part? To restore all things. Is it our job to restore all things? No, sometimes we try, right? And we can be junior partners in that for sure but it's better to understand our primary job. What's our job? To return. And what's God's job? To restore all things. In this passage from Deuteronomy, we see the parable of Yeshua from Luke 15 again. Israel needs to come back home, not only to the land, but to God. Then the Lord will turn toward Israel and have compassion on her, like the father in the story, running to embrace his son. While the son is out there with the pigs, what is he thinking? What is he feeling? Yeah, <laughs> it's not kosher. What is his heart like? What is his emotions like? He's, he's thinking he's no good. He's thinking he's not good enough even to be a slave in his father's house, right? He's not thinking about himself as a son. He's thinking about himself as, as not having any worth. And when he returns to the father, what does he realize? The father always loved him always loved him, always saw him as a son, even when he was out there with the pigs, no matter what bad choices that he made. The father did not define his son based on his mistakes and terrible choices. The son may have, but the father didn't. Are we defining ourselves with our mistakes? Are we identifying with the pigs in the trough instead of our loving father? If so, that means we need to do what? Return. We need to go back home. The father defined his younger son based on his immense love for him and immense joy that he was back home. Thus, he, the Lord writes the Torah on the heart of his sons and daughters. And the son is restored to obedience. He's never going to leave that house again. 
You know that, right? Why? Because he knows he's loved. Never again will he stray from the father's house, looking to fill his heart with junk, because his heart is transformed by the love of his father. Being home with God is not necessarily a physical place. I'm not talking about coming back to Tikvat Israel, although it is good and healthy to be connected and planted in a Yeshua faith congregation somewhere. However, I'm talking about us coming back to God and letting him transform us by his love. When I came home this week, uh, I was working on this sermon in a coffee shop, and then I came back to the house. And my son saw me. Guess what happened? His whole face, exactly. His whole being lit up. His face smiled. He was already physically home. But when I was there with him, then he was truly home. Likewise, when I'm taking care of him and my wife comes home from outside the house, guess what happens? Same thing. Mama! He even anticipates. He can hear her steps around the corner. He can't even see her yet, but he knows. He knows she's coming home again, and therefore he is home. He is secure. When we are in his presence, either my wife or myself, he's home in his heart. When we come back to God in repentance, we could be anywhere. We could be in a grocery store. We could be in this sanctuary. Wherever we are, when we come back to God, guess what? We're home. And in that space of secureness and love, God strips away the self-hatred and the doubt and the weariness and the mistakes from our identity and gives us his identity, tells us who he thinks we are. When we are wandering around far from God, we may try to fill our incomplete hearts with junk because our hearts are not complete. Things We try to fill our hearts with things that we think will make us complete or shalem. We long for wholeness. We all do, right? We want to be whole. We want to be complete. But when we're in the wilderness or out there, what happens? We're filling it with junk. But when we return home where our hearts were carrying lies and failures, he writes his love. He writes his Torah on our hearts instead. He says, this one is my daughter. He says, that one is my son. One of today's Haftorah portions is from Joel chapter two. One of the themes is the idea of the day of the Lord. Quite simply, this is the day when God confronts evil and rescues his people. The exodus from in slavery of Egypt through the Red Sea and into freedom was a day of the Lord over 3,000 years ago. Yeshua's death on the tree where God rescued his people from sin and death and conquered evil was also a day of the Lord 2,000 years ago. Sometime in the future, as is related in the book of Revelation, there will be one final day of the Lord. And lots of people have lots of theories about what exactly is going to happen because Revelation is a book with wild, dreamlike imagery. But one thing I can tell you I know is going to happen on that day because it's what happened the exodus from Egypt. And it's what happened on the execution stake when Yeshua died. God will confront evil and rescue his people. Now on to Joel. First, there is a locust swarm, which recalls the day of the Lord in Egypt. Remember, that was one of the plagues. 
But notice that this time, the plague is not upon the Egyptians. But who is the plague of locusts upon? It's upon Israel. The locusts just ate up all of their food. And now Israel is destitute, stricken. How do you think they're feeling? Probably anxious. Where is our next meal going to come from? How would you feel if you lost your whole crop? Probably lost, hopeless, anxious, and ashamed, and unable to see a way out. Then Joel calls them to do what? Make teshuvah, repent, come back home. And he describes then a future day of the Lord, much like the one in Revelation. Blow the shofar in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all living in the land tremble, for the day of Adonai, the day of the Lord, is coming. Surely it is near. Right away, what do we notice? What's the sound that we hear? The shofar, the trumpet. It's blown on this ultimate day of the Lord. It is also blown on Rosh Hashanah, and it's also blown on Yom Kippur, which are two other days of the Lord, right? That's when God deals with evil and rescues his people on those days as well. They're both sacred assemblies where the shofar is commanded to be sounded. Perhaps Joel is referring to this time right now in, in God's calendar. So the prophet continues, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as blackness spreads over the mountains, a great and mighty people from antiquity, there was never anything like it, nor after it again from generation to generation. Darkness reminds us of what? Reminds us of Egypt, right? Again, there were locusts, that reminds us of Egypt, and darkness, when darkness covered the sun, the, the plagues that happened on that day of the Lord, right? For us, 3,000 years ago. A fire devours before them, and behind them flames build up. Like the Garden of Eden is the land before them, and behind them, a desolate wilderness. Can you picture that? It's a great image. It's a terrifying image. Nothing at all ever escapes them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses. They gallop like war horses, like a clatter of chariots. They leap on the tops of mountains, like crackling flame of fowl, devouring stubble, like a mighty horde in battle array. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces become ashen gray. So this army consumes everything in its path, like what other animal? Like a locust. So Joel is saying, you think this is bad. <laughs> you don't have anything to eat. Well, in the future day of the Lord, it's going to be the same thing. Joel is so encouraging, isn't he? Well, he is. You just got to wait for it. He tells Israel to rend their hearts, not their clothes, which means, in other words, to have genuine repentance. Don't just be like outward show. Oh, I'm so bad. I'm so sorry. Right? But saying, turn in your hearts. Genuine repentance. Turn from evil. Turn from idolatry. Turn from hurting the poor. Why does Joel say they should turn and come home? Because the God that is waiting for them at home is what? Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That's what Joel tells them in Joel chapter 2. So when they come back to the compassionate father, he's going to do something amazing. He will actually reverse the effects of the devastation that they experienced. This is from this week's Haftarah portion. I shall restore, what do you think is the root word there? Yeah, shalem. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. 
the great army that I sent among you. You will surely eat and be satisfied and praise the name of Adonai, your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. Never again, say never again, will my people be shamed. You will know that I am within Israel. Yes, I am Adonai, your God. There is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. He says it twice. Here's where Joel encourages us. This sounds like the end of the story of the prodigal son, doesn't it? Safe in the father's arms. The father restores all that was lost and then some, making up for the years of mistakes, even decades of time spent wandering lost and far from God, making mistake after mistake. He restores all of that. How is this possible? Because God is just that good. And God is just that sovereign over our sins. And notice that the shame the prodigal son felt and that Israel felt, what happens to it? It's wiped away. Because when you are home with the father, you're not ashamed. You know that you are loved. When God restores everything 10, 50, 100 times when what was lost, we experience his joy at providing for us, we are secure. We are celebrating with him. What is it? What does the father do for the prodigal son? It's a feast. It's a festival. That's what he wants to do with us. During these days of awe, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we are sending out to our email list video devotionals based on Psalm 27, which is traditionally read in Judaism during this time of year. I would like to quote from one of these devotionals from one of our members, Renee. Thank you, Renee. She gave me permission, who shared a testimony about how God restores after the plague, essentially. Uh, This was from the fourth night based on Psalm 27, five through six. I'm going to read that and then I'm going to quote Renee. For in the day of trouble, he will hide me in his sukkah, conceal me in the shelter of his tent and set me high upon a rock. Then will my head be high above my enemies around me. In his tabernacle, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, sing praises to Adonai. Here's Renee. Quote, The Lord has watched over me throughout the years continuously, and I'd like to recount a time in my life when my entire family moved to Israel in 1971. We relocated with a group of people that turned out to be not so nice. We encountered numerous lifestyle changes and challenges with them. My family found itself in disagreement with this group. Initially, they had provided an apartment for my parents in Beersheba. However, after the dispute, they insisted that we vacate that apartment that they had given us. In this challenging moment, my mother instructed one of my brothers to sound the shofar toward Jerusalem. He sounded the shofar, and together we cried out praises to the Lord God of Israel. After sounding that shofar, God made provision the very next day. A small house was provided to us. It was a tangible sign of God's protection and provision. This event may not seem significant to some, but it was a profound thing for us. We were Chicagoans in Israel. My command of the Hebrew language was limited to just a few words. Moreover, my father had contributed most of the money that he had brought to this group, even his pension from the U.S. post office, leaving us in financially embarrassing situations. Well, despite these challenges, God delivered us, granting us a means to sustain ourselves through a job that my brother had secured. 
It was undeniably a divine blessing, a testament to God's covering during a time of great need. Now I'd like to ask you a question. What memories do you hold that demonstrate how God has protected and provided for you? Additionally, what situation lies ahead or may arise in your life that you can stand on faith, firmly believing God that he will continue to cover you? God bless you abundantly, unquote. Thank you, Renee. You may be experiencing a kind of a plague in your own life, but God is the restorer of all things. It is our job to come back home to him, to his loving arms. And it is his job to make everything shalem, complete, whole, secure. Let us also consider not only that we may have been lost and wandering, but let us also consider God's heart for others that are lost and wandering. Let us not be like the older brother, angry at the favor and forgiveness of God for those who are coming back home to him. Rather, let us plead to the father that his family would be complete. Yeshua said that he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Do we have a different calling than our Jewish Messiah? I don't think so. Not only a Tikvot Israel, but I would say the entire body of Messiah has that calling as well. And then Yeshua said something remarkable in John 10, 16, that expanded on this idea. He said, I have other sheep that are not from this fold. Those also I must lead, and they will listen to my voice, Shema. And there will be one flock, one shepherd. Yeshua also, also longs for the nations, the Gentiles, to know God. And some of God's sheep are missing, wandering, hurt, lost, stranded, lonely. There are Jews and Gentiles that are out there, incomplete, filling their hearts with junk, far from their home. Let's encourage others with the love of God and tell them there is room for you at this festival. Because when we come home to God, he celebrates with us. He restores to us everything we have lost in our foolishness. So let's, let's invite someone to the party. The loving father is waiting for them. The loving father is waiting for you. Then he will restore all things. He will make all things right. He will heal our shame and brokenness, and we will all sit together, healed, whole, restored, and secure. Beloved, we are moving from Shuv to Shalem, returning home to the restoration of all things. Abba, we just, we just want to come home to you. We just want to stop being lost. We want to experience your, your feast and your love. We want to be home with you. Just as my son knows that he is home when I'm around, 
when my wife is around. When you're around, we're home, Lord. And help us be invitational, not just to think of ourselves coming home, but to think of all those out there that are lost and hurting. That you would give us your heart, even a small portion of your heart for Israel, for the Jewish people, even a small portion of your heart for the nations that are out there, that we would invite them to be with us, that your family would be complete. And in Yeshua's name we pray.